Right. Good morning, everybody. Good. What a wonderful, wonderful song. You know, as I was sitting there listening to that, I was thinking through some thoughts from this week and just overjoyed with the, the grace of the Lord. And, and I hope you think about that often, that you're aware of the mercy of God in your life and you see Him at work daily. I don't think we should ever get tired of that. I was telling somebody just the other day that uh, because of I know how God rescued me from darkness, I am just so overwhelmed every day of God's grace and His mercy. And really think about that day that He saved me all the time. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't think about the grace of the Lord in my salvation. And, and, and that doesn't make me unique. I just think that that's the way every Christian should think. And so in my mind, I'm a smart man, as other, Brother Ed used to say many years ago. And it just seems like that should make sense. And um, we should never get tired of what the Lord has done for us. You know, it's really kind of staggering when you think about it that the Lord would give to us the keys of the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? I know Jesus is the one who really holds the keys, but I mean, he's given to us the privilege of joining him in eternal redemption. Just let that sink in this morning as we should on a Sunday morning like this. As we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, which is what we do every week, we just should think about regularly the grace of God in our lives and how He has so blessed us. But just think about that as we go to Him in prayer now, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for what He wants us to hear. So, Lord, we thank You, as always. Just never want to start out our time together in any other attitude other than thankfulness and praise and worship of You. Lord, as we think about worship, we know that even just by the meaning of the word, we are bowing before you. We're extending our hand, so to speak, to the God of all gods. And so we, Lord, don't just consider this as a time of routine or uh, just rote memory from the days, from the week, at the end of the, the week, but we're literally coming to you with open hearts, asking you to give us discernment from your word today, that we would hear you and that we would be able to apply in our daily day, daily week, our life uh, application from what you teach us. Lord, that our first thoughts as we encounter some situation, whether it be small or large, would be about you. And we would be asking, Lord, how would you have us to deal with this? What is it you'd want us to say? And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we pray for those that couldn't be with us today for whatever reason. There have been many that have been sick, and many across our world that are sick with this virus. And so, Lord, we lift all of those folks up and just pray that you would uh, certainly have your way. We know that you are in full control. We know that you give Satan the power to do what he does, only to bring yourself glory and to bring good from it. And so, Lord, whatever your plan is, we submit ourselves in that way and just are so thankful that no matter what comes our way in this life, we're safe with you. We're either going to be here with you or we're going to be there with you. And so how could we be any more blessed? So thank you for this, we pray now, Lord, and hear us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so open your Bible to the book of Matthew. We are in chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 20 today. We'll get to that in just a second. But I want to back up just for a minute and just kind of reiterate some of these thoughts I was just starting with, and that is that, you know, so many people... And I'm talking about many, many people are so blinded to the truth of who God is. 
You don't have to search very far. You don't have to look very long or talk to people very long before you realize that there is just an overwhelming blindness in the hearts and the minds of people. So many people just don't know how much God loves them. And that's really the message that needs to be heard, isn't it? And we spend many, many weeks in the scriptures, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday nights, other times. And, and often it appears that people receive the message of, well, I just don't know if I want to be uh, under a condemning God. Well, we're going to see again today that we have to understand that we must see ourselves in a state of condemnation before Christ will rescue us. We have to see that. We have to know that and believe that, that we are eternally separated from him. But then we need to see how much God loves us. And so what Jesus is going to do now through the balance of this sermon is he's going to reiterate to us again that we need to understand where we are in his eyes, so to speak, where we are positionally without him. And he's going to hammer that home. Today is going to be again the same message that way. Uh, with a little bit different flavor as he talks about the Pharisees and the scribes. But uh, then also the remainder of the sermon, we're going to see some incredible uh, love from the Lord. And especially once we finish the sermon, we're going to start seeing in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew the love of Christ and the, and the beauty of his life and how he came to not only rescue people spiritually, but really set them free in their physical ways in a lot of those, those areas. Okay, so, um, so a lot of people just don't understand that. They don't understand what God has really come to do. And they don't want a part of, of God that they think is God. But we're learning about who the real God is. And that's what we want to focus on. It's not unusual for the world to feel that way. Most people live their lives doing what they think is right. You know, they're mostly good people. People who are never hurting anybody, stealing from anyone, causing any problems for anybody, committing what they would call the big sins, Right? Never done any of that kind of thing, and they have a list in their mind of what that might be. Honestly believing that because they live righteous lives compared to the other person next to them, that God will surely accept them and bring them into his kingdom. And honestly really believing that. Well, Jesus, as we know now, is dealing with people just like that. People who are good, wholesome people looking for the coming of the Messiah believing that he was to come through the prophets, and they're seeing now for the first time as he's entered onto the stage of life uh, the incredible things that he's saying and doing, and, and they just want to follow him. The problem has been, as we've learned, is that they had been taught for so long by false teachers, and I'm talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the true way of righteousness, which was false in the way that they were teaching it, about how a person comes to be favored by God, was all external. And that's what they were living with. They were so focused on the outward appearance of man and on the outward lookings of the heart, of the soul rather, of the individual, that they were confused by their models. They thought, well, if these people are the models, then we certainly got to follow them they had become the standard. And so when Jesus says in our text for today, we'll read this in a second, unless your righteousness exceeds these people, the scribes and the Pharisees, unless you're better than them in righteousness, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. And that would be a staggering statement to hear. That would be a shocking statement to hear. But that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to be. He wanted them to be shocked. It was a shocking statement it's an alarming statement. 
It's one of those statements that you throw out there to get people to start thinking. And that's what exactly our Lord is doing here. He wants them to be shocked into the awareness that as great as you think these people are, you have to be greater if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what he wanted them to know. He wanted them to investigate their hearts, look inside, examine yourselves, see where you really are, and ask this very question, who is righteous enough to meet God's righteous standards? And of course, we know the answer is no one. Nobody can do it. There's not one of us that can do that. Not one soul can be righteous enough to meet the holy standards of God. Not one living person, which puts them and everybody else in the very same challenging situation. That's you and me. We could have easily been sitting on the mountainside beside those folks right there in the presence of Jesus, been hearing the same message, which by the way we are, and coming up with the same conclusion. Who then is righteous enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to make it? Well, you know that Jesus has been elevating his word, bringing it back to the proper place that it should have been all along, and it was at one time, to a height that nobody could reach on their own, at least through their own human achievements, through their own good works. And he did that by showing the people the authority, number one, of his word. And we've seen this. I'm just reviewing a little bit. And by acknowledging that he didn't come, come to do away with the law, which would have been a little shocking to them too. They thought that's what was going to be the case, but to completely fulfill it. And so his word then becomes the mirror. So imagine yourself standing in front of your mirror, in your bedroom, and you're really looking, in effect, into the law of God. And the law of God, as the mirror of God, is reflecting back to you what you really are. Now, all of us love to stand in front of a mirror, right? Some of you are laughing. It's okay. You can laugh at that. A mirror reflects what's there, right? It just simply shows you what's there. And you usually stand in front of me and go, <clears throat> I don't like what I see there. Good grief. You'll turn to your spouse and you say, is that what I really look like? Right? You've done that. Please tell me that's not true. That's what happens. You know that's what happens. Well, the Word of God then becomes the mirror of what's really going on in the soul of the person. And this is the purpose of the law. This is the purpose of God's Word, specifically in the Old Testament, which, Old Testament with this, which is what Jesus is dealing with. Here is my standard, God is saying. This is what I want you to see. This is the reflection of what your desires should be. This is what your willingness should be. And he does it so well that we fail when we stand in front of that mirror. And that's what we experience when we stand in front of a physical mirror. We find ourselves failing. Good grief, I'm getting older. I don't like this look. But that's the purpose so that we can see what needs to happen. And we try desperately. I'll talk about that in a minute. To fix some of those things. Well, the purpose of the Lord here is to elevate his word so that we're seeing ourselves clearly by seeing him clearly. And he said it's so authoritative that not one part of it is going to pass away. You remember this? Not one jot, not one tittle, the smallest letter, the smallest stroke of the pen. It's all going to be perfectly fulfilled. So we should find ourselves saying, okay, Lord, if this is the case, it has this authority and it's not going to pass away until heaven and earth are gone. In fact, it's never going to pass away. It will remain forever, the Lord says. And I better listen to this. I better take real heed to what you're telling me. And so in our study today, Jesus is going to continue with these thoughts. So title for today is Human Effort 
will never save you. It's never going to save you. Try as you may, it's not going to do it. So let's stand together and read verse 20. Just Matthew verse 20, and this is just a culmination of what we've seen in verses 17, 18, and 19, but it really drives the point home, and the Lord knew that. So he says here, For I say to you, and he's already established his authority, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Praise your name, Lord. You may be seated. All right. Now, just dwell on that as we go through all of this, and let's just back up a couple steps here and kind of bring all this together. You know, it's always been and has been the purpose of false teaching to cause people to believe that salvation can come by some form of personal effort. If you talk to anybody, if you have any experience at all talking to them about their religious background, you're going to find that that's basically, and that's not basically, but that is the foundation of everything that people believe in a human sense. But we should know now, especially those of us who've been with the Lord for a long time, know that salvation cannot and has never come from anything of human achievement. There's nothing that we can do in any form. But that smacks in the face of everything that the heart wants. Everything that the heart wants. Everything in our human nature wants to do it ourselves. In fact, think about it with me for just a minute. I wrote down some thoughts so I wouldn't forget them. We get out of bed in the morning by our own self-effort. Right? Unless we need somebody to help us. We brush our teeth by our self-effort. We dress ourselves by our self-effort. We feed ourselves on our own self-effort. We drive our cars by our self-effort. We work to the numbingness of our fingers by our own self-effort. We make money by our own self-effort. We make our families by our own self-effort. you get the point? Everything we do in this life is by our own self-effort. And so it's standard procedure in our minds to think that, okay, humanly speaking, there must be something I can do to inherit or achieve this eternal life, which again would be in the minds of the people. That's why we have the statements that we do from people throughout the Gospels. Lord, what do you think about this? What, what about this? Is this going to work? Is this going to do it? And every time the answer is no, that's not going to do it. You're not going to be able to get there by your own self-effort. So Jesus says, the only way we're going to make it to heaven is that we are going to, you have to be righteous. And you have to be righteous beyond who your spiritual leaders are. Again, would be a staggering statement. Now, as I thought about that, I thought if I'm listening to this, which I was, I was listening to the Lord say this, in my humanness, in my basketball days, and some of you all remember the, day, the name Michael Jordan. He was the guy, kind of still is in a lot of ways. There are a lot of younger guys coming up to catch him. That would be like saying to me, unless, Bruce, you play basketball better than Michael Jordan, don't even call yourself a basketball player. That's what that would be like to me. Let me throw another one at you. For those of you who like to sing, and you know the singer Adele, she's one of those singers that you just, people shouldn't even try to imitate her at all, right, when they're singing a song. She's that good. It's like saying that unless you can sing better than Adele, don't call yourself a singer. Here's another one. Unless you can make more money in business than the guy who owns Amazon, 
Don't call yourself a businessman. You see what kind of category that puts you in? I mean, all of our effort is like, what? Well, that's kind of similar to what the Lord is saying here. That's how powerful these people were in their presence and how much they followed these religious leaders. You can imagine the hopelessness there. But again, that's the Lord's plan. That's his purpose here, to open the truth so wide that there's no way people could miss it. Now, in my mind, I'm also pounding this here because there's not a week that goes by that I don't get concerned just from what I know about the scriptures and what God says about the eternal souls of people and what they're putting their effort into to make themselves righteous. It's a scary thing. People are very hopelessly lost in many ways. I had some conversations with some people this week. And it's just amazing how lost people are and thinking they're on the right path. I had a conversation with somebody this very morning who is of another faith, believing that they're on the path to eternal righteousness. And it has nothing to do with Jesus. And they're hopelessly in the wrong way. And we know that. I don't have time to go through all of this, but we've, over the years, have talked about the authority of God and His Word. And, and we believe these things to be true because of who Jesus is and how He proved Himself. So the law of God was given to prove that man could never and can never be good enough to fulfill all the requirements that God has to get to heaven. But when, he, but when we accept that truth and humble ourselves before him, we begin to see the truth of who he is and submit to him our lives and our families, our abilities, our very soul, we start to understand the righteousness of God. So again... Basically speaking here this morning, just understand that the Old Testament law was given to as the standard of holiness. Just like a tape measure is given as a standard of measurement, it was the law that was given as the standard of measurement. Some people will ask, why do we have the Old Testament? Why do we need that anymore? Well, it is the foundation of understanding where righteousness is placed and where righteousness comes from. We have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. It measures perfection and holiness, which no man can measure up to by his or her self-effort. Do you hearing, you hearing that theme continually coming out? We cannot do it on our own. And Jesus is saying, even those religious phonies, those Pharisees, those scribes, those uh, Sadducees who make themselves the standard, I'm telling you, they're not going to make it either. Because everything that they're living on and based upon is based on their own self-effort. No man can be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You start to get the picture? One commentator said this, and I just love this quote. He says, if you want it simply, folks, the law was given with the purpose of frustrating us, showing us our inadequacy. The law wasn't to tell us how good we are. The law was to show us how rotten we are. What a great statement. In the heart of the human mind, the person who really accepts that and believes that in his core, when he is exposed to the demands of the law, understands their total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves feel better inwardly, we try to come up with all kinds of ways, and the Pharisees did this, the scribes did this, come, try to come up with all kinds of ways to make ourselves righteous and to meet those demands, right? Because everybody wants to be righteous, right? I mean, there's not one of us in this room today that wants to be considered unrighteous. 
That's why you're here. There's nobody here that wants to be thought of as being just the next guy. I mean, we want to be the guy, right? Everyone wants to know that we stand out above others. That's what the human nature wants to do. I'm speaking from our sinful nature. Everybody wants to know that they're going to heaven because they're a good person, that God's going to accept them for just because of who they are and how they compare themselves. But again, nobody can measure up to that standard. So we will create a certain pattern of righteousness in order to make ourselves feel better about how we stand in the presence of God. And that's why when you talk to people about God in heaven, they say, of course I'm going to heaven. If you ask somebody that question, do you think you're going to go to heaven, unless they have just truly been taught that no, I'm not until this happens, they're going to say to you, well, well, sure, yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. You had those kind of conversations with people? Yeah, I should. If you press them on it, and they'll say... Well, it's because of all the things that I just talked about. I'm measuring myself against this, 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 and this, and I look pretty good. That makes sense to me. And so if I look pretty good comparatively, then God must surely have patience to deal with me, and I'm sure I'll make it because I'm measuring myself by my own self-effort. And it is true, God does know how hard we work. There's no question about that. He knows how diligently we work. But the answer is still the same. You can't do it. 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 You can't make it. You're not good enough to get to heaven by your own power. It's not going to happen. And this is why, beloved, listen. This is why in Luke chapter 18, verse 13, we have the parable of the tax gatherer, the tax collector, beating his breast on the floor in my mind before the other Pharisee religious leader saying, Lord, have mercy on me because I see that I can't do it. I can't make it. And the religious guy over there is saying, man, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. I mean, what a mess he is. And then he lists off the bunches of stuff, the listing of things that he has to his credit as to why God should accept him into heaven. But what Jesus is teaching us is that that's all external stuff. That's all external. It's external measurement. What God wants and demands is an examination of the heart. An examination of the heart. And when you examine it, you're going to see that you're going to come up short every time. Every time you're going to come up short. And so this sermon is that there is a godly righteousness that you and I must have if we are going to make it into heaven. Otherwise, we are not going to make it. We're not going to make it. And again, that's going to be illustrated throughout this chapter as we complete it. So, let's jump into this text just for a couple minutes here and talk about these two groups of people. Now, we've done this a little bit because Jesus has mentioned them before in the gospel when he's coming to where John is. But let's go back and remind ourselves of a couple things and learn a couple things that might be new to us. Who were the scribes? Who were they really? Well, the Greek word is a, the English word, I should say, is a word that we get from English that sounds like grammar, okay, or grammarian or grammatical. And so these were the guys who dealt with the law. The scribes were the people who dealt with the law, the interpretation of the law, the recording of the law. You could say that they were the grammar snobs. 
Okay? They were the ones that made sure that the law was being lived out the way it was supposed to be, right? Until they understood they couldn't keep it, and then they tried to keep it themselves, as I was saying just a few moments ago. So both of these religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had scribes within them. In other words, they were people who were making up both religious groups. The Sadducees, you remember, were the liberals, if you will, religiously. The Pharisees were the conservative leaders. And you say, yeah, I like those guys. They got the word conservative in their name. And well, just remember, they missed the boat too because they were conservative in the wrong way. The truth is we don't want to be a part of either group. We want to use them as an illustration. That's what Jesus is doing, using them as an illustration for his people to see this is what you don't want to be like. So the scribe's role was to copy the law, study it, interpret it, all that stuff that most of you would never want to do. Uh, and by the way, they were the ones who became the rabbis. And so when you hear the term rabbi, they would have been thinking of the scribes and holding an official office in the people of Israel or the nation of Israel, the, 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 world, uh, the makeup of Israel. They studied law all of their lives, but sadly came up with the wrong conclusions which is tragic, really, when you think about it, because most people who study the, word, study the Word and then miss it in their hearts come to that same kind of conclusion because they never were really changed by the Word in the first place. It just became something that they were ritualistically going through. In fact, I've probably shared this with you before, but there was a man, a friend of mine, who had a relative in his family that told me he read the Bible nine times, cover to cover, Word for word, nine times. Most people who've been in the church for their lifetime can't say I've read through the Bible nine times. And a man said, didn't do anything for me. Didn't have any meaning to me at all. It's just a book. Nine times. Now, there's a problem there. Because we know it's the word of the Lord. But the problem is, it is possible to just read through the word of God and just check the blocks. And just assume it to be a textbook unless the word of the Lord really is penetrating your heart. And this is the danger of anybody who opens up the word. You may be sitting here today saying, yeah, you know, people are laughing, but I can kind of identify with that. I've tried to read the Bible, you might be saying, and hasn't done a lot for me. You know, there are a lot of kids who are brought up in Christian schools who hear the word regularly in chapel services over and over and over again and hear the truth of God's word and they walk away unchanged. In fact, so many times I've done chapel services at our local Christian school here over the years and come away with the feeling of these kids have heard this so much it doesn't have meaning to them anymore. Because what happens is they hear it with their head but they don't hear it with their hearts. And beloved, I'm just simply saying that's possible for anybody. To grow, grow up in a church, even from childhood, and sit week after week after week hearing the word of the Lord and walk away unaffected. You say, how is that possible? Because people approach it with an intellectual view and look at what they can take into themselves, hoping that that's going to be enough to make them righteous in God's eyes enough to be forgiven of everything else. But the standard the Lord is impressing upon our hearts is, no, you must be perfect. You must be perfect. And if you're not perfect, 
you're not going to make it. That's a challenging thought. That's a challenging truth. The Pharisee, what about him? Well, he was a guy who had an office like the scribes, but it wasn't an office. It was more of a sect. It was a, a sect is just a faction or a group or a, a camp, if you want to, whatever you want to call it. It's just a conglomeration, excuse me, of people who make up a certain uh, identification. They were a man-made creation. This wasn't a God-ordained thing. These were people who had become the governing body by their own making. And they weren't the only ones. There were other groups of people like the Essenes. Those were the people who completely separated themselves and lived up on the hillside. Remember, we talked about this. Believing that was much more holy to be isolated and unique, so much so that you don't have any dealings with people lest you become unholy. You see the external workings there? And then there were those that were the zealots. That's where we find Peter. He was the one. They were the ones that just wanted to rebel against Rome and, and bring Israel up to that fighting place, literally fighting, where they thought they would overtake Rome. The Sadducees were the Sadducee. You know, they were the ones that didn't believe in the resurrection. They really didn't believe in, in miracles and that kind of thing. They were the religious liberals who uh, just didn't have any fundamental truths about God. But yet they had power. They had controlling power because it's easy to begin to control people when you start giving them a list of do's and don'ts, right? If you give people a box to check, then they're going to get so enamored with the box because we all work off of self-effort. And if I can check the box by my self-effort, then you must be the right one to follow. And by the way, that feels kind of good when I check a box and I can see some accomplishment and at least I feel like I have some accomplishment. And so I'll just follow you. And so they were masters at this, but they were being deceived greatly by Satan himself. We can see that from the outside looking in. But as we go through this, we're going to find that there's some things about our own lives that we may not see just like they didn't see if we're listening to what God is telling us. These guys, the Pharisees, developed what they would because they couldn't keep the standards of the law either. So they did the next thing and changed the laws to fit what they believed was right. And they became the religious accommodators, if you will, of the righteous. In other words, instead of just trusting God and keeping the law, they made excuses which said, just do this and do this. And if you do this well enough and right enough, you'll certainly be okay. And that'll be good enough. And we find ourselves understanding and realizing, well, that doesn't sound too unfamiliar from what the world does or what we do in our own lives. The world, and I'm talking about the unsaved world, <clears throat> doesn't like the righteous standards that Christianity proposes. Right? You talk to people who just don't want anything to do with the Word of God. And so they say, well, here's what we'll do. We'll change them at least in our minds, to fit what we think is best. And we'll create our own form of righteousness, which is to worship God on the golf course. Because, I mean, he's out there, right? I mean, I don't have to be in the church on Sunday mornings with those people that I don't really like anyway. They're irritating and just create more rules for me to follow, <clears throat> And so I'll just worship God on the golf course or up on the mountaintop. And certainly God can be worshipped in all those places. But you get the point where they just create their own sense of what it takes to become righteous. Or I'll just do yard work 
Sunday's a beautiful time. I don't have to answer to anybody. I turn my phone off. My boss is not going to call me. And I'll just go out and enjoy the morning and have my coffee and we'll just have a great time with God. Or people will say, well, I'll give more to charities. There's lots of charities that need work and that's important. And, and yes, I'll go on Christmas Eve and Easter to the services and other special events that my wife or husband makes me go to. And I'll feel better about myself because I'll just have this standard that I'm setting that seems to fit what God would be looking for. And we have one in our midst. <laughs> but listen, I love Chuck. But listen to this now, Christians, and I'm talking about in name, people who profess to be believers do the same thing. You go to church, Come to some things that the church does. Gives a little money here and there. I've talked to people before that have said, and I hope this, if this is you, I'm not saying this in a condemning sense, but I think we need to hear things like this. Um, one fellow told me one time, he thought, you know, if I gave $20 a month to the church, I thought, man, I was being a big giver. And they were very serious about that. They really thought that they were doing something good. And it is good. But you see how we begin to grade ourselves. And make ourselves feel more righteous. And that's what happens when you can't keep the whole thing. And you know you can't keep the whole thing because we feel that. We know who Jesus is. And that makes me aware that I can't be as good as Jesus. So I'll just pick and choose the best things that I can keep and just hope for the best. When it's all said and done. But really what's happening is, is that we're lowering the standard. We're creating the standard where we want it to be. And putting the bar where we think it should be. Because if you don't come up with something, you'll drive yourself crazy because you know there's got to be some standard there. And if you don't create your own standard somewhere, you're just going to be frustrated all your life. And you don't want that. So it becomes a real problem. You either surrender or you just leave God altogether. And all of us know folks that have just walked away from the faith because they felt the weight of what it means to be righteous and couldn't keep it. And so they said, well, the best thing for me to do then is just to walk away and I'll just take my chances. So a couple of things we could say about these folks, these two groups of people that Jesus is pointing out here is that they lived externally. That should be very obvious now. All about external achievement. Look how good I am. Um, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I pay my tithes, and I'm talking about what they're saying here, I haven't killed anybody, at least they hadn't gotten caught, because they were the ones who put Jesus on the cross, right? Now think with me here. But here's the thing about them, the Pharisees really believed that as long as you don't commit the act, then your heart is okay. They didn't understand that it is all about the heart. So they just focused on the external of it. Just keeping, just doing that part. But in their hearts, they were full of evil and hypocrisy. I hope that's clear to you. And that's what Jesus was, was, was talking about when he was prompted to say in Matthew 5, this will be the next two verses that we'll get to next time. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. 
And they're saying, well, we didn't commit, we haven't, we haven't killed anybody. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And that was true, right, in an external sense. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, those were statements that were taken from what they had built in their traditions, excusing their hearts because they thought, well, gosh, I haven't killed anybody, so I'm fine. And that's why Jesus would say, next, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, I haven't committed adultery. So he says to them, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in her heart. You see how he's gathering the externals and he's bringing them back and he's saying, okay, let's look inwardly. Because every one of you losers have killed people with your heart. That's what he's saying. And every one of you have committed adultery with women in your hearts. But you've lowered the standard so much that you feel good about yourself because you're only looking at the externals. But it's all about your heart. They had hatred in their heart. We've got that example from the, the Good Samaritan story, right? Had real, no, no real heart for God, no real concern for their motives or their heart attitude. Jesus was blasting them as the epitome of hypocrisy. These were great examples of hypocrisy who thought that God would only judge them on their actions, not on the depths of their heart. G. Campbell Morgan said this, The righteousness of the Pharisees is the righteousness which expresses itself in the correct garment. And the wide phylacteries, and that's a little leather box, I'll show you a picture of that in just a second, on which quotations of law were written something holy for the eyes of men. The Pharisee is careful about the platter and the cup, the tithing of mint and anise and rue and cumin, but about nothing else. Let me show you this little picture of a phylactery in case you want to start wearing one. So this is a, a Jewish guy, and this little box right here, and that little top hat looking thing, it has a little menorah symbol, you can't see it here, and this little wrappings was designed to keep it on his arm, and this was a commandment from the Lord, you shall write them on your forehead, right? And so it was a reminder to them to wear the word of the Lord so that it was close to them. Now he's in his morning prayer time here, and this is what he has as a, pic a book of the scriptures. But in this little symbolic thing is little parchments of parts of the law, supposedly. Let's look at one other, actually. I think I have two of them up here. These are two women. And here you can't see it for the darkness. Sorry about that. But the same kind of thing. The little box is there. You don't see her arm. But here's some of the wrapping. And here's the little the box right there. And this is very normal. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. You parade yourself with this external stuff like you're the greatest thing on earth. Like you're the holy ones, but your heart is so far from me. In fact, Jesus would condemn even greater things than this in Matthew 23. Listen to this, beginning in verse 25. Woe to you, Jesus says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, and that was all this tradition stuff, but inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the, cup, of the uh, cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, 
scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we have been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Hey, we wouldn't have been near as bad as those guys. They killed the prophet. We wouldn't have done that. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? I'm glad that was the Lord's message because any other preacher would get run out of town. I mean, that's some stiff stuff. Listen, one of the greatest violations of people like this is how much they affect others. That's part of the greatest of the tragedies. Not only were they condemning themselves to hell, but they were also condemning others. Listen to this. Jesus was saying in Matthew 23, 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Wow. Luke would pick up the same thing of Jesus' words in chapter 16. He said to them, You are those who justly justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Detestable is a word that can mean abomination. It's like the fullest meaning of rejection, something that defiles the holy place, causing it to be abandoned and left desolate, is what God is saying. God hates that. Listen, the bottom line is, these people were rotten. They looked so good on the outside, and everybody wanted to measure up to the Pharisees, to the scribes. Look at those guys. They're the standard. And Jesus comes along and says, no, they're not the standard. Let's talk about your heart. That's where the real issue is. These guys were phonies. And the sad part is that's exactly what sin wants, to look good on the outside. You know, people spend, I already talked about this with the mirror, just so much looking good on the outside, don't we? You think about your life with me for a minute. So much emphasis is placed on the external. Where we live, where we work, how much money we make, what we look like. Let me read you some statistics. This will help you. Mascara sold last year. This was 2018, by the way. $8.1 billion. Skincare products grossed $123 billion in 2018. Now, I'm not arguing against skincare products. That's not the issue here. We're talking about the heart. There's another group called... Uh, Statista.com, here's what they say in 2018. The global cosmetic market grew an estimated 5.5% in comparison to the previous year. Skin care, uh, hair care, makeup, perfumes, toiletries, deodorants, and oral cosmetics are the main product categories of the cosmetic market. Skin care was the leading category, accounting for about 39% of the global market. Hair care, 21%, while makeup accounted for 19%. 
Skincare has been forecast to remain the most profitable product category as its market value is projected to grow between 20.1 billion in the US dollars between and this was between 2014 and 2019. 20.1 billion dollars projected growth through those years. Again, I'm not talking now listen, I'm not saying ladies you can't wear makeup. Men, I know you wear wear it too. Okay? I'm not saying that. Some of you all got that. The point I'm just simply trying to make is, is that we do really focus on the externals of our lives. It's amazing how much we focus on the externals. So much so I was interested to find, I was trying to answer my own question, which was, well, what about the heart? How much money do people spend on the internal? Well, that was a little hard to Google search. Uh, but I did find this. And I, it was, um, I don't even remember where I found it. Oh, it was in Psychology Today. Therapy in America, this was back in 2004 and co-sponsored by Psychology Today, found that an estimated 59 million people have received mental health treatment in the past two years and that 80% of them have found it effective. 47.2 million people in therapy. Now my question is, what do they mean by effective? Right, that's a whole other subject. But there are people, millions of people, trying to figure out what's going on in their hearts. When Jesus is telling us, listen, the blessed people, the people who are the happiest are whom? The ones he just went through in the Beatitudes, right? The humblest. The people who are honest about their sin. The ones who are honest about their unrighteousness. The ones who are like that tax collector and say, Lord, I don't have anything to give to you. I don't have anything to offer you. I am sinful to the core. And Jesus says, I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly the way I want you. Because it's through my righteousness that you're going to come to peace. Now, of the scribes and the Pharisees, as we go back to them, we could say that they followed God sort of. We'll give them a little credit there. They were good at filling the outward things, as we said, the tithing, going so far down the line as to tithe their mint and cumin and what that meant was is that they would literally grow these little plants and they would pick out certain numbers of them as their percentage of the tithe okay that's good stuff but it's totally unimportant when it comes to reaching into the kingdom of heaven and Jesus is acknowledging them saying hey you guys you're the best at picking out the little seeds and your tithe, you're really good at that. It's awesome, but you're still missing the point. That's not why I am here. I'm coming to rescue from those who are caught up in legalism. Jesus said in Matthew 23 again, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Here's the part. Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You say, now what's he talking about there? Well, literally, like the little um, colanders we have, you know, these little screen things, they would have those and sometimes gnats would get into their tea in the, that part of the world and they would dig the, the gnats out, strain their tea or drink through that little thing and get the gnats out of there. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. You're so good at even picking out the gnats 
But you've forgotten all about the real important thing, which is the issue of the heart. So they basically redefined what God was meaning and expecting. They had worked hard to change the definitions to fit themselves. Holiness was all external instead of the holiness of the heart. And they took that to mean that the rituals were much more important. Now, folks, listen. Again, could we not say that of ourselves sometimes? That maybe, okay, I'll go to church, but I just want you to know, I'm mad. Or my heart's not here. But I'll go anyway. Well, no, just go home. I can't do that. Why not? Because it's Sunday. And, and this is where I'm supposed to be. Okay. Then stay, but your heart's not right. You understand? I mean, we do this all the time. We parade ourselves as if we're the model of Christianity, and inside we're frustrated and worried and irritated and mad at the guy next to us. But we can't show any of that because I'm a Christian. And what that really means is I'm checking the block. I'm not really living it from my heart because if we lived Christianity from our hearts, then we would be on our face before the Lord saying, God, I'm just so irritated today, but I need you to help me. I just want to open my heart to you and just ask your blessings to cover my sin right now. Do you see the difference? But we parade ourselves like we're the greatest things in the world. Let's go on. We'll think about this some more. People will change. We're just talking about what the Pharisees and scribes have done. We'll be done here in just a second. They, they would change what the Lord has said. We do that. They couldn't fix this. So they would do that, the next best thing. People today say, for example, well, yeah, the Bible is the Bible, but what God really means is this. Oh, so God says this, but you're going to take it to mean this. Well, yeah, kind of. But they would never admit that. And we do that. Here's how they do that. The Bible is what it is, says what it is, and, but this is what God really meant. Or that was for the people of that day, not for today. And so I don't really have to follow that anymore. And there's some truth to all of that. You see, this is how Satan works. He'll give us just enough truth to confuse us. For example, let's, let's throw an example here. God told us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so what was the question? Well, who's my neighbor? Right? Isn't that what they asked Jesus? Jesus said, love your neighbor. That's the second greatest commandment. Um, just one question, Jesus. Um, even Tom? I mean, we haven't gotten along for 20 years. Yeah, even Tom. Well, I love most of the people in my neighborhood, but there's this one guy that just, every time I plow snow, comes out and fusses at me. So am I supposed to love that guy? And I'm totally making something up here. Yeah? Right? You see how we changed the standard? Or here's another one. God said in 1 Corinthians 6 9, Neither fornicators or adulterers or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. People will say today, yeah, but that's not accurate. Paul wasn't one of the 12, so we can't really take what he said as authoritative. You know, some people say that that was just added later. 
Or they take passages like Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And they say, well, see, in the New Testament, God has changed his position on the gay and homosexual movement and the questioning people. And they say, here's why, because in Galatians 3.23, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later, later revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So they say, well, you see, since there's neither male nor female anymore and we're all sons of God in Christ Jesus, then there's really no distinction and on and on and on it goes. And so we're just changing the bar because I don't like what God said. And so I'm going to make it clear for what I want it to be. But there's nothing about that in this scripture if you look at the context clearly. I won't take us through all of that. I'm just simply trying to make a point. We do this. We do this when we don't like what God has said. And so we become like the scribes and the Pharisees. We become the ones who say, I'll tolerate this, but I'm not going to like it. And I'll change it. And then finally, God says, of the scribes and the Pharisees, they changed God's law because they were very self-centered. And that's really what it comes down to. What they really wanted was the approval of men. And that was much more important. And again, we operate the same way. I really like it when people approve me, right? I want people to approve me. I need approval. I need self-worth. I need value. And so I will promote myself in any way I can to get value, to be approved by my peers. And I'll work hard at that. Because if I don't get that, I don't know how to handle life. And so everything becomes about the selfishness of my heart so that I look good to everybody around me. In fact, in an interesting article, it just kind of happened to get this today. I was checking the, the other day, I was checking the mailbox here at the church, and Psychology Today magazine came in for one of the counselors upstairs. This is the April 2020 edition. I thought this was interesting. I just thumbed through it for a second, and it's just God's providence, because there was an article in there talking about how, or rather the biggest problem in society today is we're too self-centered. I thought that was fascinating. So, okay, you got my attention. Let me finish reading this. Now, they said that it, this all, there was a huge change from the evolutionary time uh, that we changed and, and became different people. But it once was that when people lived in tribes, that there was this give and take where people helped each other a lot. But now we've moved away from that. We've become so isolated in our workings in life that we've become so much more self-absorbed and concerned about the self. And so the advice to the teachers and the leaders of this, in this person's article is, is that we should take people back to what would cultivate this smaller group so that we can have this unique identity as a group instead of just individuals. And there's a lot of value and worth in all of that. Well, the problem is, and I kind of hate to break it to them, but the heart is the problem, right? No matter what society tries to do, it's not going to work because the heart is always the problem. Society can't help that. Only Christ can help that. Only Jesus can help that. So the true remedy then is to repent and turn to God for forgiveness. That's what it comes down to. But again, Jesus' point is, 
You're never going to get to that place if you don't see how far away you are in unrighteousness. It's just not going to happen unless you become dissatisfied with yourself. And that's what he's talking about when he says the person who's truly the happiest is the one who humbles themselves and mourns over their unrighteousness. He's broken by it. And you know, we know when people are truly broken by their sin, don't we? Or we know when we're truly broken by our own sin. It's amazing what happens. Have you ever met somebody that was truly broken by their sin? I hope that was you. They change. I mean, they even look different. When they've poured their hearts out to the Lord and said, God, I can't do this. You've got to fix me. I'm tired of this. It's just a totally different person. And the externals become so unimportant anymore that what they want is they just want that intimate, passionate, deep relationship with Jesus. Because they see who he is and they see who they are and they don't like what they are and they see that he can make everything right. And their lives change. They become different. And I'm skipping through a lot of things here, but we just need to understand that there is a marked difference between the people that we think we are and the people that the Lord says we need to be to come into his kingdom. Talking about things that happen, it was interesting... By the way, most of you may know this, may not know this. Next Monday, my wife and I will be going to Romania for two weeks. So we'll be with you on Sunday. We'll miss a Sunday. We'll be back with you. So pray for us. You know, there's a lot of fear about the, uh, not with us, but there's a lot of fear from people about the coronavirus and that kind of thing. We want to be wise, certainly. We had a long meeting with our team in Lynchburg Friday night. Um, So pray for us as we go. We're not afraid. You know, the Lord has given us great peace about it. Uh, Our thoughts are, hey... You know, we don't want to be unwise. We'll be as careful as we know how to be. Uh, We'll listen to the authorities. If the authorities say, hey, you're not going, we'll say, okay, we're not going. Uh, But so far, everything's a green light as far as where we're going. And the bottom line is, uh, hey, you know, we know where we're going anyway, right? So there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, But here's what I wanted to tell you, that it was amazing to me that there's been a shift in the place where we'll be staying over there, and here's why. Um, the church that we have been so long a part of has basically excommunicated the team. Not because of what we believe to be sin, but because of one person that was a part of their church that they believe has had something wrong with their life that they've not given an opportunity to them, though, to repent of. The person has repented and didn't even know it was a problem. But the church leadership has said, if you have anything to do with this person, we're not going to have anything to do with you. And so our team leader has worked for months to try to resolve this issue. And really, honestly, and I'm not trying to judge here, but it's really a perfect illustration of everything we're talking about here today. The religious leaders in this group have so determined that this is the parameter to walk in that there is no grace, there is no mercy, there is no opening of the heart and mercy extended to the one who is in question, who is, by the way, a Romanian. And so, long story, lots I could tell you, very deeply involved. Um, and so it's just, it's just very fresh in our minds about how easy it is to get lost in the externals instead of accepting the fact that, yes, we're all broken, 
And we need Christ, and in Christ there is great forgiveness and there is great mercy. And that's probably a good place as any to, to conclude all of this. I've got much, much more to say. You understand, you know, when you study, you just have so much that's there and so much you want to share. And there's just so much more I could talk about with all of this. But let's just say this, that in the end, beloved, we have to know that we are worthless in our ability to create our own sense of righteousness. And it's not until we hit that point that the opening of the Spirit can come into our heart or the work of the Spirit can come into our heart and show us His forgiveness, His ability to take us and wrap His arms around us and love us into His kingdom and welcome us. That's why Jesus again could say, this and I'm pointing here because I'm picturing in my mind the tax collector down on his face here at the altar. And the Pharisees standing there. That's why Jesus could say, this guy right here, he understands. He will be in the kingdom. Why? I mean, he's a tax collector. No. He's, not a, ta he's a tax collector externally, but internally his heart has been changed. And those are the people who see the kingdom. So let's just ask the question. Has your heart been changed? It comes down to that. Now, I'm hammering this because the Lord is hammering this. Some of you are those people who've sat under the teaching of God's Word for years and are feeling like you're okay, but if the Lord were to examine your heart and expose it, you know, as kids, we used to cut the hole out of the top of the orange. Remember this? And we'd suck the juice out, and when you're done, you'd stick your thumbs in there, and you'd rip it open and eat all the insides. My brother and I used to love to do that. We'd get, like, blisters on our lips because we'd eat so many of those things. But I imagine, I think the Lord gave me that illustration years ago because I feel like that's what the Spirit wants to do with us. Okay, I've squeezed you with all the issues of life. Juice has come out, right? Now let's rip you open and see what's really going on. But he doesn't expose it for his sake. He does it for our sake. So we can see what's going on in our hearts. And I'm telling you, beloved, based on the authority of God's Word, what the Lord is saying here is, the people who allow me to rip their hearts open to show what's really in there are the people who will see my kingdom, who repent of that, who turn from it and say, Lord, I want you to be my God and embrace me with your love and your grace and welcome me into your kingdom. Until that happens, until that happens, it's going to be a futile attempt of doing everything on your own self-effort. And Jesus says, back to verse 20, those folks don't see my kingdom. They're not a part of my kingdom. And that's just straight out of the horse's mouth. Amen? I'm not the horse. I'm talking about Jesus. Okay? All right. Let's pray, and let's just examine our hearts. Let's ask the question. Let's picture in our minds, if you can do this. If you haven't done it, I'll get an orange and I'll show you how we do this. Just imagine the Lord just ripping your heart open. And he's kind of turning it like this. And he's having you look at it. And, and we begin to confess to him the things that are there. And say, yes, Lord, I, I see that. You see, what Jesus wanted the Pharisees to say was, you know, when he called them those brood of vipers? You see that time where you looked at that lady in a lustful way? 
I want you to confess that to me. You see when you stole this and you thought nobody was looking? I want you to confess that to me. It doesn't matter what it is. The Spirit of God will point it out. All, I, all we need to do is to be honest and agree with the Lord. Amen? And let Him do His work. So let's just pray right now, silently to yourself, as we think through some of that. Father, how precious it is to spend a a few moments each week with you like this together as your people. And I pray that I'm not interrupting the hearts of those that are doing business with you you right now. But Lord, we've heard your word and, and what we really need from you is to help us to agree with you that we're really just just like the Pharisees, just like the scribes, just like the Sadducees. But when you expose to us all the issues of our hearts, we begin to see ourselves like that tax collector. And the only position that seems to be right is the one that's face down, burying ourselves from your righteousness. And so, Lord, in your grace, in your tenderness, in your mercy, would you expose to each of us those areas that need to be confessed to you? Would you just be pleased to help us to see the things that we've been hiding from ourselves, hiding from you, at least thinking we are, and just be honest and say, Lord, would you just take this from my life? Would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you do what's necessary in me to make me a truly righteous person in your eyes, in my heart? And Lord, I know based on your word that, and who you are that you will greatly, greatly forgive and mercifully and wonderfully rush into that heart that is open with you. Thank you, Lord, that your standard is so high that only you can fulfill it. And thank you, Lord, that you gave us the truth to show us that we were hopelessly lost, deceiving ourselves if we continue to follow our own self-effort. Praise you, Lord. We honor you and we worship you. Speak to that heart today, I pray, and do what you will. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.